Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and today we are talking a little bit more about PCOS. PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome is one of the top things that I get questions on. You guys leave comments, you send in requests about it, and I have tons of content on PCOS. Clinically, I see patients every single day who come to my fertility practice and they say, do I have PCOS? I've been told I have it and was put on the pill and never explained what it is or what I should do or what I should know. Or they've been told, I was told I couldn't get pregnant or have kids because I have PCOS. And all of this is so bad. And honestly, because of this idea, this paternalism in medicine, where we just assume we know what's best for the patient or treat them or don't explain things. It has led to so many negative perspectives on treatment options that potentially could be beneficial. We see this huge discourse around birth control pills, metformin, ovulation induction agents as a failure to naturally manage your PCOS. And I really think we need to break down a little bit of barrier because understanding your options and understanding what you can do, but also what is unrealistic to expect your body to do, that's really the important thing because natural sounds great. It does. And there's so much noise about things being natural. Really terrible things can be natural, right? Poisons can be natural. Heart attacks, natural. Having menopause, cancer, there's bad things. And so the idea that anything synthetic or medication is bad, but then an herb is good, there is a disconnect in how we approach patients because I I get it. However, it's crazy to me that you might be more willing to take an herb blend from somebody where you have a zero idea what is in it, but I might want you to take a medication that's been well studied, rigorously proven to help your disease, and that sounds too artificial or fake. In the same breath, I am a 100% believer that doing what you can naturally, which to me is those lifestyle factors, what can you do to control your disease, to optimize your fertility, to improve the chances that you can conceive We should all be doing that, every single human being, because we have emerging data that not doing this 
is bad for us. We see increased rates of cancer from processed foods. We see processed meats as type 1 carcinogens. We are seeing the consequences on our society of not paying attention to the food we eat, to managing our stress, to getting sleep. And I love seeing that in medicine, there has been this redirection in focus. Physicians can focus on lifestyle medicine. There is this approach that we shouldn't ignore diet and nutrition. And if you've been around, I was a nutrition major in college. I absolutely love food. I think there's so much about food and our choices that we make with food that we don't know or tell each other. So it's fascinating. But to go back to the idea of PCOS, that all medications are inherently bad and anything natural is inherently good, I really want you to try to disconnect that. What I want you to get to the mindset of when we talk about PCOS is that this is a chronic illness. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is a chronic disease. Your disease will be with you throughout your life. And I have a whole episode right before this where I really talk about the diagnosis of PCOS and some changes that have been made and things for you to think about and how to advocate for yourself to get this diagnosis and what it means. Now, if you have come to see me or you're a patient, you've heard me say this, but I think everybody should hear it. I view polycystic ovarian syndrome as an endocrine disorder of your ovary. We need to stop the stigma. Nobody holds a lot of stigma if you say, I have thyroid disease. Oh my, I'm so sorry. That sucks. I have PCOS. And then there's the stigma associated with it. And then I want you to view your disease like any chronic inflammatory illness, meaning it's a teeter-totter or a seesaw, whatever you call it. And it is extremely hard to get that teeter-totter in perfect balance. Sometimes it's leaning one way or the other. And that's really how I want you to view PCOS because events in your life over which you have no control might push your teeter-totter in one way or the other. And understanding that your hormone system is dynamic. There's constant fluctuation. It is supposed to be responsive to the world around you. You see a bear, you run away. You are starving. You don't get pregnant. The hormones are made to talk to each other. And when there's an extra layer of stress or when the brain and ovary are not communicating well, because that's really what's happening is there's misinterpretation of the signals in PCOS. It's a lot easier to get overstressed and then result in having a worsening of your symptoms. So almost view it like flares at times. So you might be somebody who can get your periods perfectly regular and have no symptoms with diet lifestyle that we're going to go over. And that's absolutely fantastic. But if you are not, it is not your fault. Some people are not wired that way. Some people's thyroid will never work no matter what they do. It's not your fault. We want to optimize the chance of medication working for us. We want to decrease the risk of having some of the negative long-term consequences of PCOS. Ultimately, I want you to have all the data you need so that if you have PCOS or your partner or somebody you love, you understand that it's a chronic illness and it's going to change and fluctuate. Also, lifestyle studies are hard. It's extremely hard to go see 
the impact of one dietary change because there's so many different variables. Therefore, most of our dietary studies are observational and observationally, if you are more likely to do one healthy behavior, you're more likely to do another. People who eat kale more often are probably also more likely to exercise and get more sleep than somebody who has a higher intake of processed foods. All right, so we're gonna dive into some recommendations and these new recommendations came out at Eshery in 2023, very comprehensive looking at all the data that exists on PCOS. I'm going to go over some of it when it comes to lifestyle medication. I'm also going to give you my slant on what I tell my patients. All right, so diving in and I didn't do housekeeping items. So real quick, one, sign up for the podcast. I mean, you're listening to it, but subscribe. Apple has changed how they do podcast listening. So please make sure you go in and subscribe. That helps with downloads, which helps with production and showing people that you like this podcast. When I go and I give talks or I'm invited on other awesome podcasts, a lot of the reason why is because I can show them that you guys like this content because of the downloads. There's also reviews you can leave over on Apple and that also means a ton. Number two, I do have the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course and the IVF guide. These are self-study programs. The Natural Fertility course has a Facebook group that might be one of my favorite things ever because I really feel like I've gotten to know people and help them on their journey and it's just a great place to get support. Number three, the YouTube channel has crossed over 150,000 subscribers. It is really great for bite-sized content. It is different than here. There is a YouTube for the podcast if you'd prefer that or you like closed captions or you know somebody who might, but I have a completely separate YouTube, Natalie Crawford MD, that goes over different topics and I love it because some things are just great visual. And then I love answering your questions. So there's two ways to have questions asked. One is going to be to ask them on Instagram on Monday. The question box goes up on Monday. You can put questions in there. Some will be answered on Instagram. Some will be answered in the newsletter. Some will be answered here on the podcast. At the end of every episode, we try to get to For Fertility Sake, our weekly Q&A, unless I've rambled too long and then I just skip it. And you can also call and leave a voicemail if you'd like to have a question answered. And these are my absolute favorite, favorite episodes. Going to do a PCOS Q&A, so that's very timely if you're listening to this episode. You can call 657-229-3672. Again, 657-229-3672. Leave a question and I would love to answer it. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No line shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. 
And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. So let's dive in to some of these topics. Number one, let's start with exercise. You will hear so much about exercise. Should you do high intensity, moderate, weight training, or cardio? And I think what is really important is to remember that the PCOS phenotype, your characteristics that you have with your PCOS are going to be different person to person. Your goals then are going to be different. If you're overweight and you need to lose weight, that is one goal. If you have high insulin resistance, you need to build muscle. That's a different goal. So a lot of these studies are looking at what endpoint. Is it a lab marker, an improvement in an A1C? Is it muscle mass or fat or waist circumference? Is it energy? Is it regularity of your period. So there's just a lot of different studies out there. But number one, exercise is always good. All right. So let's remember that exercise or physical activity is any movement that is using your skeletal muscles and expending energy. So walking, bike riding, playing games, running outside. So there's a lot of things that are so much better than just sedentary activity. I am standing right now recording this podcast instead of sitting. So that is activating different skeletal muscles versus if I was just sitting and being sedentary. Some physical activity is better than none. You should limit time being sedentary and thinking about how you can modify that behavior like I am right now. In order to prevent weight gain and maintain your health, here's the recommendation. 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity activities or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic exercise per week, evenly spread through the week, plus muscle strengthening activities like resistance training or weights on at least two days per week, which are not consecutive. To put this in another context, this is 30 to 60 minutes of aerobic activity five days a week, plus two days of strength training. Now, this is moderate intensity. If you're going to add in some HIIT work or some high vigorous activity, it can be half as much, 15 to 30 minutes, five days a week. I think a combination of this is the best. No one thing, HIIT exercise versus moderate intensity exercise. You're going to do a Peloton HIIT class versus a Peloton power zone. Those are just different things. And honestly, the best is to sprinkle them all in because they have different benefits. 
HIIT workouts may be associated with an increase in weight loss if you're doing activity for the same amount of time. However, for certain people, it can be really inflammatory to their body and they feel terrible afterwards. Sticking to a plan is going to be better than nothing. Also, this can be broken up into bouts of 10 minutes per study. So you want to get at least 10 minutes to have a benefit. Take the dog on a walk for 10 minutes. Do a 10-minute walk on the treadmill, do something, and you can spread it throughout your day. But this should be your priority number one. And if you're an adolescent or you have a daughter who potentially has PCOS and you want to help her manage it, adolescents should aim for at least 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per day, including activities that strengthen muscle and bone, like resistance training and weights, three times per week. So we need to get our adolescents off the screens and up and moving around. If your child is not in activities, if you don't have a sport, that's okay. But we need to think about how can we help support them because this is an even greater amount of physical requirement because our bones, our muscles, how we set our bodies during this critical time period is going to impact their health for their entire life. So what do I tell my patients? I tell my patients 30 minutes of physical activity a day. It should be your priority number two. I put priority one at sleep. So number one is going to be sleep, seven to eight hours a night. Number two is physical activity, 30 minutes a day. Space it out between what is going to be a cardiac, aerobic activity, what's going to be weight training, and then what's in between yoga, Pilates. Figure out a plan that works. When can you fit this in? Just like I talk about negotiation. You're never going to get what you don't ask for. You're never going to get healthy if you don't prioritize it. Your muscles are not going to magically stay strong. Your bones are not going to be protected unless you prioritize your health. Having muscle mass is an important component in battling insulin resistance, which is one of the things that is the hardest with PCOS. When it comes to diet, there have been so many different studies looking at different outcomes. Overall, a healthy diet which is encouraging fruits, vegetables, healthy whole grains, good protein sources, and healthy fats is going to be the ideal. So whether the outcome is weight loss, it doesn't matter. Low-fat diet, low-carb diet did not result in more weight loss at six months than a diet that included those food groups but changed the quality or the composition of their food. When you're talking about carbohydrates, especially those in high fiber with a low glycemic index, such as whole grains, legumes, fruit, those are going to be very beneficial, especially for the cardiac and the insulin resistance endpoints. We also have data that the Mediterranean diet is associated with improved metabolic health in other populations that we can extrapolate that into PCOS. In PCOS specific patients, we've seen that increasing sources of vegetable protein over animal protein did have a higher rate of ovulation. So lower rates of anovulation or having irregular periods, observational data only, but that means you're going to want to increase those vegetables. It doesn't mean you have to be completely plant-based like I am. I'm not trying to push that on you, but overall the standard American diet is actually very low plants. It is meat and potatoes. It has an avoidance of a lot of fruits and vegetables. And the narrative that fruit is bad for you is false. Just like with exercise, having a game plan is helpful. Here's my thoughts on diet. 
Calories can be helpful because it's important to understand how one Big Mac might have more calories than you should have in a full day and how that results in excess energy being stored as fat. However, a focus only on calories leads you to sometimes very poor processed food choices because they are in fact low calorie. A macronutrient approach is personally my favorite because you're really having to look at the composition of each meal and each day and saying, am I getting enough protein? Am I getting enough fat? Am I getting enough carbohydrate? Low carbohydrate diets are my least favorite Carbohydrates are an important energy source for your body. They are the first thing your brain is going to use. And we want you to have a normal functioning brain and have lots of energy. So what I recommend to patients is number one, I want to increase the vegetables of the average person's diet. So we are going to look at a week and I recommend meatless Mondays for my PCOS patients because automatically now, if you're not eating meat, you're going to have to come in and eat more vegetables. Number two, the rest of the week, we are going to have meat one serving per day. And that is going to allow you to plan your day, but still keep that total vegetable content so much higher. You're going to number three, when you look at meat, love fish sources, but no more than three times per week and red meat one time per week. A lot of that is because not all red meats created equal. There's a lot of processed meat, which we're going to avoid, but we want to create more balance in your diet. We are not going to worry about the fat content per se of foods. We're not. And especially those that are healthy, nuts, olive oil, avocados, fantastic. We are going to incorporate all of those healthy fats because that's an important part of what our body needs. I also want you to switch the focus away from all carbs are bad to really looking at the carbohydrate content, trying to get away from the processed and the refined carbohydrates, having complex carbohydrates when you can, because that is a different process for your body to break it down. And fruit is not your enemy. And especially over sweets. If you are a sweet person, I'm specifically talking to Dr. Rupa Wong right now, but if you're a sweets person, let's substitute in fruit as that option. Or I want you just in your daily life to be adding fruit into your snacks, your meals. I want you to put it on your plate. So often I talk to moms and they're putting fruit on their plate for their kid, but not themselves. Put the orange on your plate, eat the strawberries, have an apple. And anytime we talk about diet, I always want to say a nutritionist, a registered dietitian can be fantastic. They can be a great helpful source if you need more of a plan. And Nothing is supposed to be all or nothing. If it's your birthday, if it's Christmas, the choices you make on a day-to-day basis allow you to have freedom and flexibility without guilt, allows your body to process that very processed food because it's a holiday without it having such negative consequences on your health. Being at a healthy weight is really important when it comes to PCOS and you can have PCOS and be thin. You can have PCOS and be overweight. Most people actually gain weight, especially abdominally. If we think about what happens, insulin resistance and an increase in testosterone causes you to store fat abdominally. Fat cells make estrogen. Estrogen tells the brain to send out less FSH. Therefore, you're sending out less FSH, less likely to ovulate. And the ovary is then shifting to making even more testosterone, 
worsening your insulin resistance, your weight gain, and it is a cycle. Even in thin patients with PCOS, they might have abdominal weight that is difficult to lose. So we don't want to have a weight stigma. I also see physicians now swing the other way and they don't even want to talk about weight. Losing weight is an important component. If you are overweight, losing fat can be very helpful because we are trying to reverse some of these metabolic consequences. This is why we have seen such a improvement in so many people with PCOS on GLP-1 medications. Because of how they work targeting insulin resistance and weight loss, it is targeting PCOS in multiple different factors. We know that losing 10 pounds of body weight can restore ovulation. Every PCOS guideline is always going to say, Number one, lose weight if overweight, and that is because it will reduce your estrogen and reduce the suppression on the brain, allowing you to get closer to an ovulatory pattern. So if you're overweight, we want to think about what we can do to try to improve, accelerate weight loss. If you're already rocking and rolling and you're sleeping and you're eating good and you're exercising and you're still overweight, it's the PCOS, it's not you. And you really should consider more of a targeted approach to weight loss medication. And that might be something that really can help you. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Let's transition to talking about some medications for PCOS in general, not trying to conceive than trying to conceive. So let's talk about metformin. Metformin is cheap, easily available. It's been used for 70 plus years for type 2 diabetes and for many decades for PCOS. Insulin resistance is present in people with PCOS, no matter your size. So if you're overweight, 95% of people with PCOS have insulin resistance. And even if you are thin, 75% do. So insulin resistance is a top concern. Therefore, we see widespread use of metformin, but a lot of patients don't understand it or how it can help. Metformin is a medication called a bigonide. It improves insulin resistance. It should be titrated up if you're going to take it, start it at a low dose, and then increase it over the weeks. Some of the side effects that are most problematic are gastrointestinal side effects, nausea, diarrhea, usually normalize as you've had more time. It should be recommended for anybody who's got a BMI over 25. If you have any evidence of insulin resistance or abnormal lipid values or fasting glucose, 
It should be considered for anybody for cycle regulation. If you have PCOS and irregular cycles, it should be considered. And if you're undergoing fertility treatment, specifically IVF or ovulation induction, we see an added benefit of metformin with those treatment options for improved ovarian responsiveness. For me, this is a medication that I'm a big fan of, at least trying it out. If you can't tolerate it, if the side effects are too bad, then that's okay. But I think that it's something that can be extremely helpful, and we have studies that show that. All right, and what about the birth control pill? The pill is a combined oral contraceptive pill. It is ethanol estradiol in a variety of doses and some type of progestin. The pill can be used for many different reasons and many different people. There are contraindications. It shouldn't be used for everybody. I agree. I hate it also that so many of you, us, We were put on the pill when we were young without being explained how long we should be on it, why we were on it, or what it means. In the same breath, I always say it's not the pill versus nothing. In this circumstance, it's the pill versus PCOS. In others, it's the pill versus pregnancy. But if we want to think about it, absolute contraindications. You should not take the birth control pill if you have migraines with aura history of blood clots like a DVT or pulmonary embolism, or you carry a genetic disorder that puts you at risk for blood clotting. If you have history of cardiac disease, stroke, if you have breast cancer, known neuropathy, liver issues like cirrhosis or a liver tumor, and then there's many different types of progestin that have different side effects. It's really important to understand the pill has changed, meaning when it first came out, it was at a higher dose of estrogen, 50 micrograms, which is almost never prescribed now. Typical pills now have between 20 to 35 micrograms of ethanol estradiol. The lower the dose, the more lows it typically has in front of it. We also have gone away from triphasic pills, which were a big trend when I was young, which varied the amount of estrogen per the different week with the idea that it was more physiologic, but it's not and just at a higher rate of failure. And the different types of progestins have different side effects. And so if you don't tolerate the pill, that might be part of what's going on. Specifically with PCOS, the number one reason why the birth control pill is prescribed is for uterine protection. And what we mean by that is that if you are not having periods, but you have PCOS, and this is not true in all causes of amenorrhea, but when you have PCOS, your ovaries are making some estrogen. The easiest way to think about this is that the average estrogen in PCOS at baseline is going to be somewhere between 20 to 50. Each little follicle is making a little bit of estrogen. In ovulation, your estrogen is going to get closer to 200, but then you're going to bleed because after you ovulate, you'll make progesterone and then you'll have a period and you'll shut everything off. In PCOS, when you're not ovulating, you have all these cells making a little bit of estrogen, stimulating growth of the endometrium because the uterus has no clue what's happening, but you don't have progesterone because you only make progesterone naturally after you ovulate. So if you're not ovulating because this cycle is messed up, you're stuck in a growth phase only of the endometrium. In the human body, cellular growth must be contained. It's not a normal thing to just grow and grow and grow. And what I mean by this is that if you don't have frequent shedding of that lining, those cells at the base of the endometrium will start to change and become abnormal, and this is cancer. So when we look at PCOS, the things that we're really worried about 
endometrial cancer will always be high on the list. It's sad and devastating. Somebody will come in, hasn't had a period for two years, really didn't think it was that big of a deal, and has cancer. And now they might be losing their uterus in addition to their life or other things purely because we could have prevented it. Or the last case I diagnosed, they didn't take birth control pills because somebody online said they were bad. And this is a case where the birth control pill could have saved her uterus. So I take this really seriously. So because you're taking progesterone with the pill, it has progesterone in it. Progesterone prevents the growth of the lining is the easiest way to think about it. So it is preventing those endometrial cells from growing and therefore changing. And if you stop the pill, you take the placebo pills, you'll then have a period and you're completely shutting it out. So birth control pills are preventing this abnormal growth, but then you're also bleeding any of the cells out. Now, the pill specifically, the added benefit is it increases something called sex hormone binding globulin through the liver. This will bind up excess testosterone, which is made from the ovary, lowering your androgen levels, improving your acne or hair if that's part of your PCOS syndrome. If we're looking at endometrial protection alone, then progesterone, what's the minimum you need? You need to either prevent or bleed off. So progesterone-based IUDs, that's an option. It's going to prevent those cells from becoming cancerous or problematic. Some progesterone IUDs have an increase in androgen factors, and so that might make some of your acne worse. You might not like that. We also can see just progesterone in pills. So some people, the most common thing, if you say, I can't take the birth control pill or I don't want to, is somebody's going to say, please, 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 here's progesterone. Every three months, at the longest, if you've not had a period, please take this for seven to 10 days, which will allow the body to bleed after you stop it. You're mimicking to the uterus progesterone and then a withdrawal bleed so you can prevent cancer from developing. And then what about inositol? What is inositol? So in some people, whether it's you don't like metformin, you can't tolerate it, inositol is something that also can improve insulin resistance. It acts as a second messenger in a role with the insulin signaling pathway. And there's some different stereoisomers. So you'll see things like myo-inositol, chiro-inositol. You'll see different options. Myo-inositol promotes the cells to take up more glucose. So they're taking sugar into their cell. Myo-inositol is converted in the body to D-chiro-inositol, which is stimulating glycogen production, which is a process in the liver where the body is taking glucose and making it into long-term storage called glycogen. Myo-inositol is also important in aromatase, which essentially is decreasing androgen production. But what we see is that People with PCOS naturally have a lower rate of myo-inositol. So then there's been different studies looking at what your outcome is. Myo-inositol versus nothing. Myo-inositol versus metformin. Together, alone. Myo versus dechiro. Essentially, the take-home is that there's really been no differences in taking in myo or dechiro. So would not say one is better than the other. What we also see is that really no difference in myo-inositol plus metformin versus metformin alone, and that metformin is better if you actually have hirsutism or hair growth or you're overweight. 
Inositol in any form, myo or D-chiro, can be considered in patients with PCOS because there's limited harm but potential for improvement in their metabolic parameters, including benefits with ovulation. However, so I recommend inositol for all my PCOS patients if you are overweight, have irregular periods, or signs of insulin resistance, I am then adding in metformin. That is my recommendation, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. When we also look at medications, we have spironolactone as an option, and this is an anti-androgen medication. Spironolactone is going to improve acne and hair growth, especially in combination with the birth control pill, but we also have to stop spironolactone if you are trying to get pregnant. I see so many people who are on an anti-androgen medication yet then go and get pregnant or they're trying to get pregnant. This could have a serious risk for a potential male fetus. However, anti-androgens are going to be one of the top things to treat hirsutism. And remember, it's an anti-androgen. You get pregnant with a boy baby. They're going to have incomplete development of their male genitalia, and it's called under-virilization. So some people will not prescribe spironolactone or any anti-androgen unless you are also on birth control of some sort. doesn't always have to be the pill, but they want to know that you're going to prevent getting pregnant. All right, just diving into the fertility pregnancy section some. People with PCOS in general do have higher risk of certain pregnancy complications. And a lot of this is due to these metabolic factors not being controlled, meaning you probably can modify these risks and I can list them off for you. Miscarriage, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia or pregnancy-induced hypertension, preterm birth, low birth weight, intrauterine growth restriction, macrosomia, which is large birth weight, higher likelihood of having labor-induced, higher likelihood of needing a C-section, and higher likelihood of depression or other mental health problems. So all of these are important and actually very significant risks for pregnancy. So this is why optimizing those lifestyle variables before you get pregnant is really important. Probably the top thing that I have patients ask me is, I want to make myself ovulate again naturally so I can get pregnant. I don't want to take medication. You can only do what you can do. Sometimes optimizing means some of these medications like metformin. Sometimes it might mean exercise or weight loss or dietary changes. And sometimes it may not happen. Everybody with PCOS is different. So please don't view it as a failure if you need medication to help you get pregnant. So if you know you have PCOS and you want to be pregnant, the first thing is that we want to see if your periods are regular. If you've been on any type of contraception, whether it's the birth control pill, an IUD, anything, you need to stop it to see how your periods are. And I typically recommend six months at minimum three. If your periods are not regular, you do not need to just have sex and see what happens for a year like the normal infertility guidelines are going to show you. If you have anovulation or irregular periods, you have one of the top types of infertility. So this means we need to make you ovulate in order to give you a fair shot at even trying to get pregnant. It's not wrong for somebody to just give you ovulation induction agents and let you try to time intercourse. I believe, and the recommendation is that you should get a semen analysis because male factor can exist just along with PCOS. And if you're paying for treatment, we want to make sure that there's sperm present and that there's enough and that you shouldn't be doing IUI over timed intercourse. Personally, and probably just because I see patients who've already done other things, 
I like doing a tubal evaluation. A lot of people won't, and that's not necessarily wrong, but you should advocate for testing to see if your fallopian tubes are open. If you have any history of previous like pelvic surgery procedures, abdominal infections, history of gonorrhea or chlamydia, any concern for endometriosis, which would be painful periods, or especially if you have a prior diagnosis of that. Because we want to make sure if we're doing treatment that it has a good chance of working. For ovulation induction, the two types of medications that are oral agents specifically are letrozole or Famara, and this is a medication called an aromatase inhibitor. And the second is Clomid or Clomiphene citrate, and this is what's called a CIRM or a selective estrogen receptor modulator. Both of these medications, I call them cousins. They're working by trying to tell the brain to send out more FSH, but the mechanism by which they do it is different. Letrozole is decreasing estrogen in the periphery. That's what aromatase inhibitors do. So they're preventing the conversion of androgens to estrogens, therefore estrogen is lower. When the brain senses this decrease in estrogen, it is going to send out an increased signal of FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone. Hopefully this is enough to get you to ovulate. There's different doses. It's not a perfect, meaning we don't know for each individual person what dose you might need in order to make you ovulate that's going to be so different. A CIRM is actually binding at the brain. So an estrogen receptor modulator is binding in the brain, and now the brain thinks there's no estrogen sending out its FSH signal. But because it's more of a complete block of the brain, it has higher side effect profile, and it also can impact estrogen receptors in the uterus. Because of the physiology of PCOS, very good clinical trials have evaluated letrozole versus Clomid, and it's very clear that letrozole is the first-line option for ovulation induction. In some patients, you will not even respond to the highest dose of letrozole or Clomid. There are combinations here where you want to add on metformin. Maybe you consider steroids. Maybe you consider gonadotropins, and those are actually FSH shots. Gonadotropins have a much higher risk profile, specifically of multiples. They take monitoring. Many places don't do gonadotropins because of the increased cost or the monitoring, and especially in younger patients where there's such a narrow window for response, you just want one or two follicles. However, if you're going to do gonadotropins, that is something where you definitely want to make sure you've had the full workup before you just start taking them 100%. Gonadotropins are FSH, and so this is also what we use for IVF. Personally, if I'm putting somebody through hormone shots and the cost of the medication, I'm of a serious talk about is IVF just better for multiple reasons? Is it going to help us get pregnant now, have embryos for the future? Is it a safer option because we can reduce the risk of multiples? This is another circumstance where metformin with IVF has been helpful to reduce ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome as well. And that's something I see not done enough that we could do in patients. Certainly if you have PCOS and you're doing IVF, we're giving you FSH. We're trying to get the eggs available that month to grow. You also want to be making sure that you're on a protocol that is safe for you. I do see a lot of people who are not doing a safe protocol, and then they have a bad outcome from IVF. Whether that bad outcome is a high level of immaturity from being triggered too early, not being triggered by Lupron, having ovarian hyperstimulation, having a fresh transfer, having miscarriage. So you really want to make sure, and in the high-level overview, antagonist protocols are typically line of choice. Lupron triggers should be used unless you have evidence of hypothalamic amenorrhea in addition to your PCOS 
which can and does happen. And you should be freezing your embryos. You should not be doing a fresh transfer. In many cases, paying attention to your body and learning more about it and learning more about PCOS is very important. This is how you can decrease your risk of pregnancy complications as well. Do not view regular periods as the only variable that matters if your PCOS is controlled or balanced. Yes, your period is a vital sign. If it's not regular, you know things are off. But if it is, and you have other signs and symptoms that are concerning, or you've been diagnosed with PCOS in the past, you need to remember that PCOS is a chronic disease, and this is something that's going to require lifelong management. Looking at your life, looking at the foods you eat, the medications and supplements you take, how you treat your body, if you sleep and get exercise, all of that is so important. The biggest mistakes I see is completely ignoring the lifestyle factors and patients getting stuck in the ovulation induction pathway for many, many months, either not having good follow-up to know if they're responding or ovulating, not having a full workup and finding out that something else is wrong. If you're older with PCOS and you're just starting trying to get pregnant, 35 and older, advocate for the whole workup because time is important to you. And just to dispel this, yes, OBGYNs can help and many love PCOS, but fertility doctors do this all the time. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you don't have to wait X amount of time before coming to see us. We would love to see you and talk you through it. If you're not trying to get pregnant and you're looking for strategies to manage your PCOS, you've been doing some of these non-medication interventions, and you are not having a period, my message is that that is not good. And please do not think your OBGYN is terrible if they are bringing up the birth control pill. It is one of many options. This is when we are trying to prevent you from getting that worst case scenario of endometrial cancer. So listen to the choices. Some patients who do not like the pill or the side effects, I respect that completely, but then we're usually talking about different types of progestins to make them bleed. As is everything with health, understanding your body is really important. PCOS has been associated with a wide spectrum of other variables and quality of life factors, including an increased risk of anxiety and depression, increased risk of sexual dysfunction, having poor body image having an increased prevalence of eating disorders and disordered eating regardless of your weight. We also see that there's a huge weight stigma and that it's very hard to find somebody to help or tell you what you need to do. Please remember, you are your best advocate and you've already listened to this episode for over 45 minutes, so you are doing what you can do. So I'm proud of you. Please ask some questions. So we are going to do a Q&A episode soon where we're going over your PCOS questions after these two episodes. And those questions are going to specifically come from the voicemail, 657-229-3672. Again, you can call and leave a message at 657-229-3672. And we would love to answer your question even if it's not PCOS related. You can always find more information on the YouTube channel at Natalie Crawford MD or follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility.
I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. 